grateful that you are here today with us. If you're a guest, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We hope you've been encouraged through our time in worship this morning. You'll stick around afterwards and give us the opportunity to, to visit with you some more. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning. I want to encourage you to find 1 Kings, even if it's been a little while since you found 1 Kings 17 in your Bible, uh, or find it on your phone, or there's a Bible in front of you in the pew, should be. Uh, I want to encourage you to, to find that so you can read along with us here in just a few minutes. I want to ask you really quickly this morning to be remembering in prayer this week. We had a group of uh, high school students that left before church today to head uh, to a mission trip, and they'll be gone all week, be back with us next Sunday. I want to ask you to be praying for them. I, don't, I, didn't, I haven't seen the Connections booth, obviously, since worship started, but before worship, there were some bracelets on the Connections booth in the foyer. Uh, each time that Chris takes our students on a trip, he writes the names of every student and adult that's going on one of these trips on a, on a wristband. Uh, and asks us to cover those individuals in prayer. So if you would make your way by the Connections booth as you leave this morning and make sure that no bracelets are left and that every student and adult that's on that mission trip this week is being covered in prayer. Uh, and even if you don't get a, a, a name, you can be praying for that as well. I also want to take just a minute. Some of you met uh, them this morning, but I want to make sure that you know that we have some special guests with us this morning they, get the, uh, they win the award for traveling from the greatest distance to be at church today, all the way from the other side of the world in Kazakhstan. Uh, Dima and Yulia are, are with us. Dima and Yulia, would you all stand really quickly and let people see where you are? Uh, Dima, Dima came and visited about three, three and a half years ago and brought, did not bring Yulia with him, but this is her first time in America, and so she came with him this time. Dima's a doctor there in Kazakhstan and Almaty and uh, is going to be doing some, some work uh, with a medical clinic in Tulsa the next couple of weeks, and then they'll be back for part of July and August as well. But we want to be sure that you meet them. If you didn't meet, meet Dima three and a half years ago, uh, but also meet Yulia, his wife, and get to know them. And um, uh, so we're glad, really, really glad they're here. They've become great friends uh, of, of us and of uh, several families here and of this church, and so we're grateful that they're here. Uh, let's pray together as we start. Father, we're, uh, we're grateful to be here in this space and to gather. We ask, as we just sang, that you will reign over every thought, over every word, the words that I speak, the thoughts that, that we all think. As we gather in this space for the next few minutes and study your word together, we pray that your spirit will uh, be poured out upon us that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. This morning I ask God as we begin and as uh, that you'll be with uh, the group of students and adults that have uh, that headed out earlier this morning to the mission trip. Uh, you'll cover them this week, be with them as they travel today and keep them safe, bring them safely back to us. I pray that their week will be uh, rich with experiences and stories that will impact their lives. We're grateful also, God, that Dima and Yulia are here with us, and we pray your blessing upon them. We're grateful for our relationship with uh, the Light of Jesus Church in Almaty, Kazakhstan, and uh, the great work that they do in that city and beyond, and uh, the long relationship and partnership we have with them, and now uh, getting to really see 
uh, a new younger generation of people that are a part of that church even growing in our relationships with them and so we're so grateful uh, for the work that you're doing there and the, the small role that we have as a part of that. We pray God now that you'll be with us as we gather around your word and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we begin a new sermon series that will take us all the way to Back to School Sunday. I I know it's a little early to be speaking of Back to School. Uh, We still have a couple of months, so we're going to take, this is going to take us through the rest of the summer. Uh, Part of the reason that I've picked this series is, there's really two reasons. One, I'm doing this series in partnership with a friend of mine named Matt Clark, who preaches at the University Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, Matt and I are, have been friends for a number of years and decided, you know, hey, we should preach a sermon series together. And, uh, and so we're, we kind of laid this thing out, and we decided on this topic almost a year ago, probably. And uh, what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, we're calling the series Major Minor. And you see there on the slide, we're talking about a major God and all of the many minor characters that make up the story of God. You know, when we think about the story of the Bible, we know the big names, right? You know Abraham and Moses and David, and you you hear their stories. In the New Testament, you hear about Peter, you hear about Paul, all the stuff that Paul wrote. Uh, You hear about characters that have, you know, you've maybe been taught in a Bible class setting, you've heard preached. Uh, you've heard just referenced, right? You know, even if they're not on the, you know, on necessarily on God's side of the story, you know people like Goliath because David and Goliath get mentioned uh, all the time in the sports world as people reference, you know, underdog teams going after teams that are supposed to be the best of the best. And so those names kind of are pretty commonplace. People that you know, stories that you could probably at least in some way tell maybe a part of or a little bit of their story, a little bit about who they were and who they are. And I want to suggest this morning that like a movie has also has main characters that you and I know, the Bible is, is that way too, right? We, have, we know the Tom Hanks and the Julia Roberts, the Bradley Coopers, right? Pick your favorite actor or actress you go to see in a movie theater. You know those names. They win the awards. Uh, they're the best of the best. But in every movie and in the Bible, there are the people that you know, and there are the people that make up what, who, you know, the kind of the behind-the-scenes storyline, the extras, the minor characters. And these minor characters play an important role, a supporting role. In fact, I would suggest that the story doesn't move forward, whether you're talking about a movie or the Bible, the story doesn't move forward without these minor characters. They may have lines in the story, lines in the script, and they may not. You might know something about them, and you might not. You might know their name or learn their name, or you might not ever know their name, which is the case of the person that we're going to look at this morning. You don't even know her name, and you don't know her. You only know her story. Sometimes these minor characters are kind of the backdrop for the main character and whatever God is doing through the main character of the story. And sometimes they offer a question or a problem so that the main character can shine, and yet they play a significant role in moving the story forward. And again, the story really doesn't move forward without them, I want to suggest to you. And so the advantage of this series is that each week is going to be kind of on its own. So if you're out of town, you're certainly encouraged and welcome to go back and listen to the podcast, listen online to something that you might have missed, but there's not going to be something that's connecting each one of these necessarily, other than this main idea that we're going to 
look at these minor characters and talk about how their lives point to a major God. And so our first story in this sermon series is just like this. The story of the widow from the town of Zarephath. Her story is recorded in 1 Kings 17, which we'll read in just a moment. But before we read her story, I want to set up the story, the part of the story that we're going to read. Because what happens in the moments really before her story doesn't need to be skipped. Prior to our story in 1 Kings 17, uh, for the book of 1 Kings, the first 16 chapters of 1 Kings, tells the, the story of the life of Solomon. Again, a main character whose name you've at least probably heard, even if you're not familiar with all that was involved in his life. And the first 16 chapters of of 1 Kings tell the story of Solomon. And then, after Solomon's life in the first part of 1 Kings, there's some other kings. The kingdom is divided, which is a whole other sermon. Uh, And there's kings that become kings over the, the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And 1 Kings tells about after the kingdom was divided, Solomon dies and the kingdom is divided and tells about all these kings who were kings over Judah. And these kings that reigned from Solomon's time up to our time, increasingly, as you read from 1 Kings chapter 1 up to 1 Kings 17, increasingly get from, they go from bad to worse. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, the chapter right before where we're going to read this morning, we meet a king named Ahab, who is the king of Judah. And Ahab is probably, the, at this, up to this point, the worst king that Judah has ever known. He does, you know, it, Scripture says he does things that were evil in the eyes of the Lord. He kind of turns from God. But then, what's interesting about Ahab is that he does something that no one kind of expects. Ahab marries another character who you may know or may have heard their, her name, Jezebel. Jezebel, uh, neither of whom Ahab or Jezebel have a great ending to their story. If you want to do some you know, in more in-depth Old Testament Bible reading on your own later, that might be a fun thing to read about if you've never read their stories. But Ahab and Jezebel get married, and Jezebel and Ahab build an altar. Jezebel's from another country, which we'll talk about just in just a minute. Uh, and, and in her country, they worship the false god Baal. You've probably even heard of Baal maybe before, some of you. And Ahab, Je, Je, Ahab gets introduced to Baal through his new wife, Jezebel. And they build an altar to Baal. And they build a temple to Baal. Now, Baal, the god Baal, little g god, is, is associated with thunderstorms. Is associated with rain sometimes associated with fertility as well. So people would, for example, would pray to Baal in hopes of, you know, Baal sending rain to the earth. So how does God respond to Elijah, you know, to Ahab and Jezebel coming into relationship and beginning to worship through building an altar and a temple to Baal? How does God respond? God sends Elijah. And when Elijah arrives on the scene, He announces that a drought is coming. And so we're going to read together in just a minute, but I want you to look at this slide. This is what the first few verses of chapter 17 say. Now Elijah the Tishbite 
from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab. Okay, so now the prophet Elijah arrives on the scene and says to this wicked king Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Elijah, leave here, because you've just announced that a drought is coming. So leave here, turn eastward, and hide in, Kirith, in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook in this ravine where there's going to be some water collecting. And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So Elijah preaches this short sermon to Ahab. It's not just but a couple of words long, a couple of lines long. That a drought is coming, but God takes care of Elijah. And so it says next, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So this is the background for our story. But I want to keep reading, and we're going to pick up in verse 8. I want to invite you, this is not going to be on the slides, but I want to invite you to look in your Bibles with me. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 8, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Remember, the background, the brook is dried up, he's been fed by ravens, and now there's no more water because there's no, not been any rain in the land. So God says, now, since this is not a safe place to stay, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow there was gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and then die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, from that little bit of flour and oil that you have, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of this woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally, he stopped breathing. He died. So she said to Elijah, what, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid the boy on the child on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. That's a significant number you might notice. And cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. 
Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. So when the water runs out and the brook dries up, God doesn't spare Elijah from suffering. He sends him to a new place and he moves on. God cares for him and and he does this caring by sending him to this town of Zarephath. In the wilderness of Gilead, Elijah was able to to avoid trouble with Ahab and Jezebel. But now he's being sent into this new place. So really quickly, just a real quick recap because I know I'm saying a lot of names like Ahab and Jezebel and Baal and Elijah and the widow from Zarephath, and these are words that we're not all real familiar with, and I want us to be sure we're tracking with this story. A quick recap. King Ahab, that's really that's kind of the highlights of what we've just talked about. King Ahab marries an enemy king's daughter. That's who Jezebel was. Then King Ahab embraces the religious practices of his new wife, Jezebel, and they begin to worship the false god Baal. And they even build an altar and a temple to Baal. So, in a direct statement to this false god Baal, did you notice what happened? What is, what is Baal supposed to be about? Rain and thunderstorms? In a direct response to the false god Baal, God sends a drought. As if to show there is no rain coming to the land unless Yahweh God wants it to happen. God is punking Baal, right? This, God is calling Baal out and saying, like, you aren't really a god at all. And your people are all about to know that. Which I love probably more than I should, I'll confess. At the start of the drought, Elijah is fed by ravens, right? He finds water from this source, this brook. But then when the water dries up, God sends Elijah in to Zarephath. Now, what you may not know about Zarephath is that Zarephath is in the region of the country of Sidon. Zarephath is in the city, is a city in Sidon, which is the place where Queen Jezebel is from. Which means Zarephath, if Ahab married an enemy king's daughter, then God has just sent Elijah into enemy territory. And Zarephath and Sidon are also the center of the worship of Baal. Again, when, when, when Elijah was in, in the Gilead wilderness, he was out of the way of Ahab and Jezebel. He could you know, do his thing for God on the margins and kind of avoid any kind of trouble. But in Zarephath, he would be unable to avoid Ahab, Jezebel, or this false god, Baal. And in Zarephath, God arranges for Elijah's care by speaking to a Gentile woman who doesn't know God. And I I imagine, as we read those opening words, as Elijah walks into this city and this woman there is gathering sticks, I imagine as he's walking into the city and sees this woman and he asks her for water, that neither of them... See, we read the story and we think, well, they already know what's going to happen, right? Elijah sees the woman. He thinks, well, this must be the woman that God sent me. No, I think that they figured that out along the way. 
Neither of them know that during their first encounter that this is the widow that God has provided and prepared to take care of Elijah. This widow's situation is not exactly great. She is not wealthy. And we learn that from what, by what she says. I mean, Elijah asks her for water, which would have been a common practice for a guest in a community to ask someone who appeared to have, you know, to live there, can I get, can, hey, I'm visiting, I'm traveling, can I get some water? He asks her for water, and as she's going to get the water, he says, by the way, do you have any bread? And that's when our minor character gets one of her lines in the story. As the Lord your God lives, she says, I have nothing baked. I have only a handful of flour and a little oil in a jug. I'm in the process, she says, of actually gathering sticks for myself so that I can go back and make what we think will probably be our last meal because we have run out of flour and oil. Translation, like what she's saying is, I am poor. You're asking the wrong person for food. You're asking the wrong person for water. I don't have anything to give you. I have barely enough to take care of my own family. In the wilderness, God provided for Elijah with meat and bread. Elijah's just come out, you know, he's, he, he ate good, right? He's probably a little bit plump by the time he's entering this enemy territory, and he steps into Zarephath, and God provides to him, for him, through a poor widow who has nothing. God is creative. Ravens in the first story, and a woman who is down to her last penny in the second. Elijah pleads with this poor widow to give him the last of her food. That's, that's what he said. Did you notice that? I, I know you only have a little flour and a little oil. But would you go back and make it for me first? And if you do, if you do, then your jar of flour and your jug of oil will not run out until the drought ends, until rain comes to the land. A prophet of God whose name we know, speaking to a nameless Gentile woman that doesn't believe in God and yet something in this moment brings her to respond in faith in faith that God will do what Elijah says that God will do I don't want us to breeze past the significance of her decision that she chose in that moment to do something because she believed she had faith in a God that she didn't know yet She makes Elijah some food, he survives, and the widow and her son survive, and she is rewarded for her faith. Her oil and her flour don't run out until the drought is over. And sometimes, I don't know if if you've heard this story before, and some of you have, but if you've not heard it before and you're hearing it now, maybe even for the first time, or maybe it's been a while since you've heard it, I think sometimes when we, we think about this story, we think, well, maybe, you know, Elijah came into town, provided for him through the widow, and then he went on his way. Did you notice that he stayed there? He seems to have stayed there throughout the entire drought, which I think changes the way you hear the story, doesn't it? This isn't just a one-day offering of hospitality to a guy that's passing through town. And then Elijah goes on his way, and the widow and her son are left with never-ending flour and oil. Now, this is a reoccurring relationship. And the reason I believe that it seems that Elijah stayed near the house is because of what comes next. The widow's son dies, and he has enough of a relationship with her 
that she speaks her other lines in the story. What have you done? What do you have against me, O man of God? She thinks that some curse has fallen on her because of her past. She thinks that the prophet Elijah's presence has brought somehow brought God's attention to her past sin. That he would have not been, had he not been around, that maybe God wouldn't have noticed. It's easy to dismiss. I want us to be cautious because I think it's easy to dismiss what she does, church, as some like sort of ancient kind of behavior. But the truth is that when bad things happen to all of us, all too often our first reaction is, why, God? What have I done wrong? Right? Did you not really forgive me for the mistakes that I've made? And now you're punishing me somehow? Is this because of some suffering or difficulty that I'm going through in life right now? Is it because of something else that took place? I'm trying to do right. God, and this is what happens to me? We've all tried to explain away the suffering, explain away the struggle, the difficulty, but God doesn't keep us from suffering because we follow him. God promises to bring us through the suffering. So in the midst of the suffering and grief, God steps in again. God sees this nameless widow from Zarephath, and Elijah takes her son and raises him back to life resurrection that's what we call that resurrection happens in Sidon and the boy is given back to his mother which causes her to go from what have you against me to now I see that you are a prophet of God and the curtain closes on this widow's story and the lights go down her big moment in the grand story of God is one chapter long And yet in this one chapter, we see faith. Faith that I think teaches us some really, really important lessons. We learn from the story that God provides and that God doesn't just provide for God's people. That God seems to provide for everyone. Both Elijah and the widow were taken care of there in the middle of enemy territory. And we also learn that sometimes God goes to those people. God saves the enemy. God cares for the outsider. And sometimes we think that enemy love is only a New Testament idea that Jesus brought about, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But God has been doing this all along. In fact, the other time that this widow's story shows up in the Bible is in Luke chapter 4. And I love that the place that it shows up is in Jesus' life. And that it's Jesus that speaks about this woman who brings this nameless widow's story back to the full center, front and center attention of everybody there that's listening. And Jesus says that her life, right, when when he talks about her life, he says the point is that God loves outsiders and enemies and the diseased, and those who are sinful, those who are Gentiles and far from God, that they also are welcomed into the family of God. Let's read from Luke chapter 4 where Jesus says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine through the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath 
in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus takes these two Old Testament stories and he says, these aren't just nice stories. You know, that, that about God providing for a widow and about God providing for a Syrian, another outsider. These are stories about, that, these stories are a statement about God's love for Israel's enemies and a statement that God has been in the enemy-loving business for a long, long time. And I think we understand this because we know, like the widow, that we too were once enemies. We once were the outsider in need of God's mercy. We once were the stranger needing to be welcomed into the community. We're the sinner in need of our sins being forgiven. We're the dead son in need of a resurrection miracle. We were once the enemy of God, and God loves us anyway. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still the widow in Zarephath, while we were still an outsider that nobody cared about and who didn't have a name, God died for us. Because out of all the people in this story, the widow's story, I think is the one that we most identify with. In the story of the widow, God sends Elijah into enemy territory in Sidon to bring life and faith and resurrection. And in our story, in your story, God sent Jesus into the enemy territory of your heart to conquer the powers of death that try their best to reign over our lives. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And through Christ's death, he brought life and a resurrection and a future. And the church said, Amen. Our verse story in this series is not long and it may, lack, may appear to a lack of importance. But now we know different, don't we? This minor character had her eyes open so that she saw God and had faith in Him. Let's pray. God, we're grateful this morning for stories, obscure, often appearing irrelevant and unnecessary stories in Scripture where we can still discover Jesus' purpose and life. And we can see the significance of this nameless widow whose story, like our story, reminds us about how good you have been to us to care for and provide and protect reminds us about how much you love us that while we were still far off and, and while we still maybe to this day want to turn and run at times, want to shake our fist in the sky and, want, and question why, that you still pursue us and you love us and that you will never forsake us or leave us. We see in the story of this faithful widow woman our story and we see you in your story. And we're grateful for it. And we pray through the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we want to provide a time uh, for prayer. Uh, it, may, it may be that you want to receive prayer in a public way. And if so, I'll be down here up front. There'll be an elder in the back that would love to pray with you. And I would encourage you to find somebody around you and pray with them. 
uh, as, we, uh, as we remember today that God loves us, that God pursues us, that God has not forgotten us or forsaken us. Even while we were far off, God showed his love for us in this, that Christ died for us. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's sing this song together and respond in the way we need to respond to the Lord. Let the King.